It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Well, I realize that um, uh, many of you have probably come, or some of you come anyway, just to see the kids. You didn't come to hear a preacher preach, did you? Well, so you get it. This is not going to cost you anything extra, all right? I'm not going to charge you anything. We've already took the offering, no more offerings. So you get back to sit and relax. If I put you to sleep, just go like this, and I'll, 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 I'll crank her up, okay? I'll do my best. You know, this is the third Sunday of Advent, the third. And, and, and we, we march off the, the Sundays of Advent by lighting one candle at a time. Normally, this is the, the Christ candle. We don't light that. In, well, liturgical churches don't light this candle, the Christ candle, until the Sunday after Christmas to say Christ has come. Because, you see, the Advent season, Advent simply means coming. And we celebrate the coming of Christ in two ways. One is a baby in a manger, as we just discovered over here. But secondly, we, just, we, we celebrate his coming again. He's a soon and coming king. We say when he first came, he came in humility. He came in servitude. He certainly came in vulnerability. Nothing's more vulnerable than a baby in a manger. But he's not coming that way when he comes again. He's going to come in power and majesty and authority. And the scripture says he'll burst forth the eastern skies and all every eye will see him. Everyone will behold him. That's how Jesus will come again. So Advent is very specific to us. It's very important for us. Uh, I got a text this morning uh, already from uh, Pastor Jason. Have you noticed that Pastor Jason's taken the morning off? I've had to do everything around here this morning. (laughs) And he said, you have already ruined my day. You lit the Christ candle. Well, let me tell you why we lit it. Because you know, you never know when Jesus is going to come. The rapture could happen at any time. There has to be some things that happen for the second coming of Christ when he comes for judgment. But first he's going to come in the rapture. It's like bookends. The rapture occurs and it could happen at any time. This says he's come. All right, so you don't know when he's coming. This could be lit before the service is over. He could come again. You just never know the hour or the time of the day. Jesus said only the Father in heaven knew that. Now, here's an interesting thought. How do you know when your birthday is? Do you realize that everything in your life, everything you know, every date on the calendar, every significant day, it is marked, it is literally marked by the birth of Jesus the Christ. Everything before Jesus is known as B.C. And everything after Jesus is known as A.D. Am I keeping you awake? All right, all right. It's A.D. So everything, I don't care what it is, is every piece of history, every event in history, every event on your calendar, every single day is marked by one day. And that, that day is the day that God's son, Jesus, came in the first advent as a baby in the manger. And even your birthday. You mark your birthday by the day of the birth of Jesus. It's kind of surprising to me, astounding that a simple, unassuming birth of a peasant boy born 2,000 years ago in a stable could cause such a commotion all around the world. There's been no person who's created more conflict, 
Either you believe in him or you don't. And that's the meaning of Advent. He's coming, believe, he's coming. Well, now we've agreed as a congregation, uh, if you're new with us, and, and by the way, my name is Les Moore. I'm the interim pastor here, in case you don't know. I've met a, a, fair, a, a few new people this morning and some people that are here for their grandkids. Thanks for being here with us and taking time to celebrate our kids. That's very important to us, as you know. But um, we agreed as a congregation. I don't know how we did this. I think I suggested it, and then just I kind of ramrodded it through. You know what I mean? You know how pastors are. <laughs> All in favor, aye. Everybody says aye, and I say, okay, it's done, right? So we agreed to read through the entire book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible together, in this December month, the Advent season. And, and, and there's 22 chapters, so that comes out to about five and a half chapters a week. And I've encouraged you to read, oh, one a day, or maybe you want to sit down and read through the whole thing. My wife is an overachiever. She's already read through the whole thing in one setting. Uh, You can do it however you want. But I've encouraged you to do two or three things as we read. And and so just a little bit of Revelation recap. Can we throw something up on the screen? I'm just going to kind of lead you through this. So I've encouraged you to do three things because as you get deeper into this book, it gets a little more hairy, right? It gets a little bit more strange and weird. It's between the weird and the wonderful. Somehow, all kinds of stuff is going on. Some of you are not even into this stuff. How many would say, I'm not really into the book of Revelation? I mean, my wife's got her hand up there, and actually, she's not into my preaching. She's heard them all, I think. But anyway, yeah, I realize not everybody is. So I say, focus on three things. Focus on the primary message. And the primary message is that Jesus wins. Jesus is victorious. At the end of the day, you can bet on this, Jesus is victorious over all. Secondly, is a primary target. It's the church. This was not written for the world. It was written to the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are seven churches listed that represent churches of all ages in this one book. Then, thirdly, there's a primary purpose, and that is to encourage and warn people. Encourage us to hang in in the last days, because the Bible says in the last days it's going to get pretty ugly. Anybody seen that around lately? It's not getting any prettier, is it? It's getting uglier. And the, 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 this book has been written to encourage us to hang in there. And there's also a warning. The warning is, don't get discouraged. Don't start looking at all other kinds of stuff in the world. Keep your focus on Jesus. Amen. So there, there it is. Now, you'll notice the key verse. And I don't know if I've given this to you exactly as the key verse. But here's what I figured the key verse is in chapter 1, verse 19. The Holy Spirit says to John, John, write, therefore, now three things you'll see, the past, the present, and the future. What you have seen, that is in his vision, to what's going on right now, because some of this was written for the day and an age in which John was living. And thirdly, he says, for what's going to take place later, that is our time. And as you read this, and we'll, we'll touch on this just a little bit this morning, as you read through this, you find that, that much of this prophecy is written about our time and what's going on today. And there's a couple key ther- uh, t- uh, terms that you're going to see over and over and over again. One is the throne. He sits on the throne. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The second is the word lamb. He is the spotless lamb who is slain for your sins and for mine. Now you'll notice the word seven or the idea of sevens, right? There's all kinds of sevens. Here's just a few of them. The list goes on. Seven churches, seven signs, seven seals, seven zooms, plagues, trumpets, stars, angels. We know that seven is a number that represents completion or perfection in some way. 
And so you have all these sevens that are significant for us. And I'm not sure if we'll have time to, to talk about that, but there's over 300 symbols and images in the book of Revelation. And again, it gets kind of hairy and, and, and confusing. So that's why I want you to keep your eyes on the most important thing, the message that Jesus Christ, when everything is said, Jesus, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, amen. He sought me, he bought me. We see that message profoundly in this book. Now, the underlying theme, he's coming. That's Advent. Say that with me. He's coming. He's coming. So here it is, chapter 1, verse 1. His coming is soon to take place. The time is near. Who is to come? Look, he's coming. Who is, who was, and who is to come now? He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The point of last Sunday's message, by the way, in case you didn't catch it, was about this same Jesus. He is coming again. He's promised he will. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and the angels look at the disciples, and they say, what do you guys look staring at? Quit staring. Get to work, he said. The angel said, why do you stare at Jesus? Why are you gazing, as one translation? He said, the same Jesus, this same Jesus, who you've seen, he is coming again. So that's the bottom line. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now this morning. We won't be long uh, this morning. It'll seem long, uh, but it won't be long. So um, I want to read just 14 verses. And and before I read them, let me just explain to you. These 14 verses, they introduce two men. Uh, The Bible calls them two witnesses. Now this is is a pretty hairy picture in in my opinion. And, and, and these two men, they come from heaven, and they prophesy, and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Now, how many of you have read this? It's like, did you get this far? I mean, if you're with us up to date, you're someplace around 11 or 12, so you may not have quite got there, depending on where you are, but, but you should be someplace around this chapter. So if you didn't read it this last week, you'll read it this coming week, chapter 11. And, and, and in my opinion, what happens here in chapter 11 is halfway through the tribulation. So let me give you just, let me give you a synopsis. So we have the rapture. Could happen at any moment. Jesus comes again to receive the church. Then we have the beginning of the tribulation. When some charismatic person rises up, some say he's alive today. He comes to the forefront. He promises peace to a world at war. How many of you think we're at war? You can see war like we've never seen it before. It happens before our very eyes, in our face, and it's all over the place. It's all, and, and so we, these wars and rumors of wars, we're experiencing today like we never have before in the entire history of mankind. So you have the rapture. Jesus comes. Then you have this antichrist, they call him, or the beast, who shows up. He promises peace, and he leads for seven years during a time of tribulation, they call it. Tribulation. And this tribulation is seven years. It's marked by two, three and a half years. Three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of, of chaos. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, as, as the scripture says. And I believe this passage, it starts at the beginning of the second half of the tribulation. Are you with me? I'm trying to give you a context before we read it. So in the tribulation, the second three and a half years, the tribulation, uh, something happens three and a half years into it. In fact, the scripture says, um, this man will promise peace, and that's why the world follows him. 
Now you think about it. I mean, I read an article some weeks ago uh, where uh, some guys were saying, how do we miss this? Because, you know, there have always people, there have always been people in my lifetime who have said, well, you know, the Antichrist, it could be this guy, could be that guy, could be, I, we could even name him, could we not? But all of a sudden, here we are in the 21st century, and there's a man who's trying to lead the peace process to this very day, who's a national leader in European nations. Do the math here if you know anything about prophecy. Who now is trying to lead the peace process between the Israelis, Hamas, Hezbollah, all of the Arab countries, because that's where the main conflict is. It surrounds Jerusalem. And some guys are saying, how did we miss this, this guy? He matches perfectly what we think the scripture says about where the, the, the beast or the Antichrist would come. And he comes three and a half years into it, he brings peace. I promise peace, he brings peace. But three and a half years, everything changes. And that's when these two men appear. These two witnesses. Now, I want to read the scripture, 14 verses, and I want you to see the story, and then we'll talk about these two guys. Okay, are you ready? Let's read the the Bible. So, uh, Revelation chapter 11 is where we are. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Here's what John says in his vision. He says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. I would say this is kind of like a tape measure in our day, right? A tape measure. I've been given a tape measure. And I was told, you go and you measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. Count them. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. Interesting verse. And they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Don't have time to go there, but interesting concept. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. He even articulates. They're going to be clothed in sackcloth. Now these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out of their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them will die. Now these men, they have power to shut up the sky so that it won't rain during the time they're prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood, sound familiar? And to strike the earth with every kind of plague, sound familiar? As often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast or the Antichrist, depending on your translation, That comes up from the abyss. He will attack these two lampposts. He will overpower them and kill them. And then their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, so that where their Lord was also crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, every tribe, every language, every nation, will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Which, by the way, is very unusual in eastern areas. They have to be buried immediately because of their own feelings about burial. So now for three and a half days, they're going to lay there. And the inhabitants of the earth, they're going to gloat over them. What does gloat mean? They're going to laugh. They're going to poke fun. They're going to mock. They're going to gloat over them, and they will celebrate even by sending each other gifts. Sounds like Christmas, does it not? Because these two prophets had tormented those 
by their preaching and their prophecy who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, oh, here it comes, a breath of life from God entered them. They stood to their feet, and terror struck all those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here! Come up here! And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. And a tenth of the city collapsed, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors, well, they were terrified. They gave glory to the God of heaven. And the second woe, well, the second woe has passed. And the third woe, well, the third woe, it's coming. Wow, Lord, this is a mouthful. I pray, God, that you would just guide my words, my thinking. May I be a blessing to the people. And, Lord, as we go from here, may we all be challenged to be stronger more faithful Christ followers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, just thinking through uh, this passage, um, look at verse 14 again. Verse 14. Now, it doesn't seem to say a whole lot, but sometimes, well, this is a weird thing, way to say it, but let me say it. There's, the devil is in the details. You know what I'm talking about? So you slow down and you look at it. And verse 14 says, the second woe has passed and the third woe is coming. Well, um, my response to this verse is, <laughs> whoa, I hope so. I hope so. And my hope so is not some kind of glib wishing. That's kind of like, oh, oh, I hope I get the right thing under the Christmas tree. Oh, no, 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 no. This hope is more like uh, 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 a firm foundation. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of a song. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's my hope as a Christian. Jesus Christ. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. That's the hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's the hope of the Christian. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep everything I've committed to him until this day. Amen? Amen. That's the hope we're talking about. I hope so. So my response to this is, yeah, yeah. Because look what happens in verse 15. Look at verse 15. We didn't read that. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You get it? Handel's Messiah, I just kind of slipped into that. So verse 14, it testifies. It testifies to what we've always known all along. And that is, God is up to something. Have 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 you recognized that? You may not get it. You may not understand it. You may scratch your head, but I'll tell you what. God has a plan. And furthermore, not only does God have a plan, but God is working his plan out to this very day. He will never quit working his plan, and he won't stop until he is done. God has a plan, and he's working it out. So look at it this way. Uh, The second woe, it's past, right? That's what we read in verse 14. The second woe now is past. Um, My wife likes to read the message. The message calls the word woe, doom. So there are dooms here. What, what is a doom? 
Well, it's something that's not good. It's a difficult thing. So, so if there's a second woe, what's that say? There's, it implies or it suggests there's a first woe, right? In fact, you'll find the first woe, it kind of ends in chapter 9, verse 12. There's the first woe, now we get the second woe, and we got a third woe that is coming. And what does that say to me? Well, all I can say is woe. God has a plan, and God's working out his plan. And I, one reason I really appreciate the book of Revelation, because as hard as it is to understand at times, it tells us that God has a plan that's far greater than my own understanding, and God is working out the plan, and someday Jesus is coming. <laughs> the Son of God, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, he will come back to take authority, and he will reign forever and ever. Don't get me going again. I'll start singing the Messiah. Messiah. <laughs> now, now, in a sense, this is not new information, in case you don't know. God, the fact that God's got a plan. Uh, let me, for instance, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you, how many have that one memorized? Some of you have that one memorized, sure. Th- that's a life verse for many people. Jeremiah 29, 11. God gives us phenomenal promise that reveals his own heart. You want to know what the heart of God is for you? Well, here it is. He literally says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, what's good for the goose is good for the, come on, the gander. Not sure what all that means, but I mean, I think what it means is it's going to be equal. Whatever is good for someone in the Old Testament is good for someone in the New Testament. Whatever God says in the Old is good in the New. Whatever he says in the New is good for us. And when he says, I have a plan, and I know my plans for you, declares the Lord, he he even articulates what the plans are. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, he says. Plans to give you, here it comes, hope and a future. God's not talking about wishful thinking here. He's talking about a hope that's so solid you can stand on it, you can count on it. He's saying you can trust in me. You can trust in Jesus. You hope so. Yeah, that's your big hope. So did you know that God has plans for you, my friend? Um, Maybe you've just come here today to hear your grandkids, and that's great. Thanks for being here. But I want to encourage you today to know this. Your hope is in the Lord. Amen. And you can trust him because he's got plans for you. And you may not under, always understand his, his plans. How many of you are going through something right now in your own life and you don't understand it? Huh? Anybody? Yeah, a bunch. Let me tell you. Let me raise this right hand to say, yeah, I'm doing it right now. In fact, I told one person this morning I've never met before and I've never told anybody but my wife what I'm going through right now. I don't understand it. It's, it's difficult. And I'm just leaving it to the Lord one day at a time. We'll see how it comes out. But the reality is my hope is not in this. My hope is in him. Amen? And so when you go through this stuff that doesn't make any sense, I want you to know God's got a plan for you. And his plan is good. Paul says in the book of Romans, he says, listen, all things, when it comes to the believer, everything that happens to us works out for the good according to his will in our own life. So it might be difficult, it might be hard, but God has a bigger plan, and his plan is a good plan for you, my friend. And I don't know what kind of, kind of stuff you got in your mind about who God is, but here, this is God speaking about himself, about you. 
He says, I have a plan for you, and it's a good plan, and it's a plan to prosper to you, and it's a plan to give you hope and a future. Amen. That should bring joy and hope to each one of our lives today because God believes in us. Well, now, the entire chapter, it's a testimony to the fact that God's, he's going to work out his plan. Nothing's going to stop him. He's going to do it to the very end. Nothing's going to stop God's plans. Now, let's look at these two witnesses, and we'll be done. So, um, these two witnesses, they're, they're proof it, to me that God's never left without a witness. God always has a witness. I think of the witnesses in my own life, men of God uh, that, that are known all around the world. They've served presidents and kings and, and princes. And, so, so, for instance, Billy Graham. Think of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a huge witness for 70 years. I know he's a Baptist, but okay, forget that, okay? Let him, let him follow John the Baptist. We'll follow Jesus the Nazarene. I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I love Billy Graham because he was a force for God in the world. Amen. Louis Palau. How many of you know Louis Palau? He was like the Billy Graham of South America. He, he moved to Portland with his sons, and I've been a part of the whole family. As we've seen revival moving through some of the most liberal areas of all the United States as I pastored there for nearly 14, 13 years. And I've been with his sons. I've been with Louis, and I've watched Louis share and, and lead over a pastors in prayer, and I've wept. I've literally wept and sobbed, so my staff thought was something was wrong with me. I said, I was just so humbled to be in the presence of a witness, a lampstand for God, who has impacted millions all around the world for God. But now, catch this. If this, if I'm right, and if this is the middle of the tribulation, the church is already gone. I'm, a, I'm a, what they call a pre-trib guy. So, When the rapture comes, Jesus comes initially, the church goes and meets him in the air. That's all those who are believers who are living for Christ. In that instant, Jesus comes. He could come at any moment. Jason, you want to come light this thing or you want me to? I don't care what you think. Jesus could come right now. And that proves it. I may be out of order and I'm always out of order. I knew I couldn't do this whole morning without messing something up. Jesus, when he comes, the tribulation starts. Three and a half years into it, God sends his witnesses. You know why? Because God is never without a a messenger to preach his grace and his mercy. Did you know God's grace triumphs his judgment? His mercy triumphs his mercy is greater than his judgment. Some people live under the judgment of God. Oh, don't be there. I release you from that because Jesus is a God of mercy and of, of, of grace. His grace has no limits. His love has no boundary. Known unto man, we sing. And when things are getting worse and bad on earth, when they are the worst they've ever been, where it's going to be in the middle of the tribulation. Getting pretty bad. Promised peace for three and a half years. Kaboom. He changes everything. There's a trampling. The scripture says, the abomination that causes desolation. It happens in Jerusalem. Keep your eye there. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. They get worse. And in the darkest moment of man's history ever known, God sends two lampstands, two men to preach the gospel, to prophesy. 
And the picture painted here before us, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, when you look at it, verse 3, it says, God says, I'm going to give power to these two witnesses. Now, notice he says I'm, that they are going to have, they're going to be my witnesses. They're not ours. They're, they're not the church's witnesses. They're, they're God's witnesses, so watch out. And they're going to prophesy 1,260 days. When you break that down, you know what it is? 42 months, three and a half years. God's got this thing. He's got it detailed out. He's got a plan. He's a man with a plan, and he's working it out. And they're going to perform miracles. They're going to do things that no one has ever seen. People are going to be astounded, and they're going to be in terror at the same time because they're preaching the gospel of Jesus, and no one wants to hear it. They've all made up their minds. They're going to live for the enemy instead of for God. It's a tough day. And verse 5 says, as they try to come against him, if anyone tries to harm them, here's, a, here's an image that just flies out of John's vision. Fire comes out of their mouths and devours them. These are God's anointed. You don't want to mess with God's anointed. Something's going on here. They're lampstands in the midst of the tribulation. Now, who are these guys? Two olive branches, two olive trees, I mean, and two lamps. Who are these guys? Well, Opinions vary, obviously, but let me, uh, you know, some say, that, uh, some say that it's a representation of the Old and New Testament. Some say it's purely symbolic or it's, it's imagery. Remember, there's over 300 symbols in the book of Revelation. So, uh, so, so, so there's all kinds of opinions, but here's what I think, and I'm going to tell you why. Are you ready? Uh, wh- whether you want to know what I think or not is going to happen right now. Okay. So here, here's, here's how it turns out. In the Old Testament... In fact, if you go to Malachi chapter 4, God says, I'm going to send, I'm reading verse 5. This is the last book in the Old Testament before the New Testament. 400 years of silence. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. What's that sound like? Sounds like judgment to me. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to the children. Oh, God, do we need that today? And the hearts of the children to the fathers. He said, or else I'm going to come and strike the land with a curse. Wow. So my my, my best guess is it's Elijah. Um, You know, when you look at Elijah's life, what what do you know about him? Well, we know that he called down fire from heaven. (laughs) Uh, the Sumerians, they, they sent a king with 50 men, whoo, swallowed up with fire. Sent another 50 men, whoo, now we got 100. And finally they come crawling on their knees, please don't kill us. And they make a treaty. But that's Elijah. He, he knows how to call fire out of heaven. Uh, one, one time he, he, he withheld water rain from the earth for three and a half years. Now, I'm not sure exactly what, but I think something's going on with three, three and a half here. How many days was before Jesus was resurrected, when he was dead? Three days. So now we got three and a half years going on here. We got, we got Elijah holding back rain for three. Have any of you ever been, there, been up there on that, on that mountain that overlooks Megiddo, Elijah's mountain? It's pretty incredible. And you watch Megiddo, where Armageddon's going to be fought. It's one huge valley, 200 million men, which probably will come to China because they're the only ones who, can, who, can, who has an army that big. We know they come from the north. The scripture tells us all this. But it's an amazing place. And here he is keeping water from 
from the heavens to fall. I'm just saying, this guy's got a lot of experience with fire and water. Amen? <laughs> he knows what he's doing when it comes to calling down fire. Revelations 11.6 says, These men have the power to shut up the heavens and it will not rain. Huh. God's going to display his power, I believe, once more through this guy by the name of Elijah. And I've just given you some of my rationale. Well, the second witness, who's the second witness? Well, some say Enoch. Yeah, that's a good chance. That's a good yes. But I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think. What do you think? I'm, whether you want to hear it or not, I'm going to tell you what I think. Are you ready, Dallas? Well, I think, I think this guy probably... Now, I used to think Enoch, but then, then I had some real wisdom come. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just teasing, brother. I'm just teasing. It's okay to laugh in church, right? So um, here's, here's the lawgiver Moses. Now, you think about this. When you read what we've been reading, I believe he's the best candidate. First of all, Moses was with Elijah after they died at the transfiguration. Two peas in a pod, two brothers. Somehow, I mean, think of, the, think of before time began, somehow God had in his plans a, an Elijah and a Moses, the lawgiver and the spirit giver. Remember when Elijah, when, when, when Elijah, when he was transfigured, Elisha was chasing him all over the place, saying, give me a double portion of your power, your spirit. Remember that? And, and Moses and Elijah are together. They're, they're, like two, they're like two bros, two peas in a pod. So, so that's one clue. And, and it just seems, it makes sense to me that maybe they'd appear together in this final hour as the two lampstands the one who gave the law, the law of Moses, of the Ten Commandments, who stands greater in, in all of God's history? I don't know. It just makes sense to me. And I may be wrong, but I, I doubt it. But, you know, you can be wrong, and that's the, you have your own opinion. I, I've often said, you know, it, 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 one thing for sure about eschatology is nothing, very little. You better get it out of the Word of God and, and don't do, be doing a bunch of hocus-pocus with this stuff because it doesn't work very well. Secondly, think of this now. Just like Elijah, Moses is what I'd call a pro-plague havocer. <laughs> I didn't say playing havoc. I said he knows how to wreak havoc. So what does Moses do? Let my people go. And what does Moses do? Moses sends one plague after another. And what's one of the plagues? Turning water into blood. Now you try that when you get home. See what kind of chemistry stuff you got that'll turn water into blood in the Egyptian Nile. And verse 6, it says this about these two lampstands, these two witnesses. They're going to have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. Well, I rest my case. Um, now, if I'm wrong, you can hold me accountable at the day of judgment. It's okay. And it could be Enoch. I don't know. I don't have any special revelation. But we know this. God's not going to be without a witness. He's going to send two. Now, we're going to wrap this up real quick. What time, how, what time is it? Okay. It's uh, about 11 till. Let's see how fast we can do this. Interesting picture. Verse 7. They're finished preaching and prophesying. 
And now a beast, the Antichrist, comes up from the abyss and he, he kills them. And these two witnesses, God's witnesses, their job is done apparently what we think it is. They lie in the streets, here it is again, three and a half days. What's going on here with three and a half? Try to figure it out, look at it, study a little bit. And these guys are dead, deader than a doornail. I mean, they're not like Princess Bride, mostly dead, right? (laughs) These guys are dead. Three and a half days, they lay dead in the streets. Verse 9 now says it starts to attract the attention of people all over the world. Here's what verse 9 says. Every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze at their dead bodies. And the world now will throw a party at the sight of their death. They're starting to send gifts to one another in celebration. This is madness. Finally, we got rid of these two guys. Someone saved us and they're dead. And the, and the reality is, every people and tribe and language and nation, the word is gazing here. They're staring at these two dead bodies all around the world, watching this one event. And you say, how? How in the world could that happen? I mean, there was a day and an age. My mom and dad, my dad and I would talk about these passages. And, and nobody could understand in my dad's day, who my dad was raised uh, plowing with mules. All right? In the same time, he could go to the moon if he wanted. Are you with me? We didn't understand. We'd say, well, dad, how in the world will everybody in the world be able to see those two guys? That doesn't even make sense, Dad. Well, hey, time flies when you're having fun, does it not? Just a few years ago, I mean very few years ago, nobody understood this. And then we had this thing come along called the computer. Kabam! Out of nowhere. And then we got these smartphones that sometimes they think they're smart, but in my opinion, they're pretty dumb. (laughs) And now all of a sudden we've got this FaceTime and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and who knows what's coming next. But you can literally take your phone, like my daughter called me from Boise last night and says, hey, you want to talk to your granddaughter? Sure, honey, put them on. And we're sitting there face to face. Literally, the last few months, we've watched events happen before our very eyes at real time. Not even a split second was passing between the time that it was happening on the other side of the world and today. And if you can't see what's going on here, God's got this plan. We just think smartphones are for us. Reality is God's going to use everything to his own glory to say, I am God. Amen. Don't mess with me. Now, this whole thing kind of gets me, and I, I, uh, I want to be careful here, but I, I think I've got permission. I think I, can we illustrate this real quick? Okay, and then we're done. We're going to illustrate real quick. So let's see. Uh, we got two brothers here. Um, we, we, got, uh, we got a guy by the... I love this guy's name. His name's Les. And we got his brother whose name's Lamont. So Les has already told me they did participate here. He doesn't really have a clue what I'm going to do, but it's okay. Um, come on. Come on up, guys. We're going to illustrate what we see here. Come on up, guys. Come on. I jump up there. You can jump up there. I'm older than you are. Come on. You guys think you're pretty big, don't you? Now, we got Moses and Elijah here. 
Moses and Elijah. I think you picked the wrong two guys. <laughs> and we're in trouble. So um, here we go. So guys, do me a favor and just lay down on the ground and pretend like you're dead. Do your best dead. Not mostly dead, but real dead. Okay, we got, we got real dead going on here. Church, three and a half days. The whole world are watching the two lampstands. They begin to celebrate that God's messengers are dead. We've won the war. We finally shut them up. We don't have to listen to God anymore. But you read the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, page two. Three and a half days later, the breath of God comes. The breath of God that created the universe. The breath of God that breathes into Adam and to Eve. The breath of God that restores the lost. His Holy Spirit came and the breath of God swooshed over these men. And the scripture said they jumped up. Jump up. (laughs) I'm telling you, God's got a plan. Some people may not like it, brothers. But he's coming. And when he's coming, the bottom line is we want to be ready. We want to be men of God, women of God who are so committed to him and every fiber of our being that we can um, be worthy to be called his, his brothers. Wow. Well, uh, give me your hand, bro. Are you Moses? The other hand. Do what you're told for once. The other hand. I was playing Enoch. You were playing Enoch. (laughs) Church, why don't you stand, would you? Let's stand in the presence of God, the great creator of the universe. Lord, we love you today. (laughs) We're so grateful, God. We read your word. It blows us away. It boggles our minds. It It moves us, God. We realize we don't understand everything, but we know this, God. You've got this whole world in your hand. And you are orchestrating everything we're experiencing today. And someday, Lord, we believe it's coming soon. Your son, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who was slain, will return in authority and power and honor, and majesty. And he will take the place that is rightfully his, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we give you praise now. And we ask that you would give us strength. May this word that we've read today, may it do exactly what you have said it would do as we read it together. You would bless us. So as we go from this place, You walk through our feet. You work through our hands. You see through our eyes. You you hear through our ears. And Lord God, speak through our lips, but more than anything, love through our hearts. That men and women and boys and girls might know that Jesus, he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. Turn his face toward you. 
and grant you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.